from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Dis Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Dis historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So how was your Thanksgiving? It was pleasant. So my my family was down and we got to spend a couple days together and I actually on Thanksgiving Day I, I drove up to the, the mountains of Georgia. Not the high up mountains, the the uh the other mountains that are in the the middle of the state where it could easily be like something right out of um deliverance. But uh, it was it was lovely. So a little little day trip on Thanksgiving Day, but then family time back here in Orlando, and and had the the massive marathon show, which uh, as of well that was for our Give Kids a World auction, which as of the day of this release is just probably somewhere around like between twenty four hours and twelve hours from ending on mm-hmm. Saturday morning at ten a.m. Eastern time. So things have been insane, but. How, how was your Thanksgiving? Well, you know, it was as good as it could be expected. You know, Carol is in the skilled nursing facility, so daughter and I, um, our daughter and I brought her over dinner. I tried to make it special, though. So, you know, we had the, the you know, real plates, and we had, um, you know, I had brought tablecloths and placemats and electric candles and music and um, decorations and... And then um, I brought, I snuck in wine <laughs> for at least for myself. And, yeah, well, you got uh, to. <laughs> I know. So you know, and I had them in um, you know, the plastic uh, tumblers that um, we get at the Lasseter Winery. You know, and um, and so yeah, so it ended up being very nice. Yeah, I, I, as nice as one could have it under the circumstances and so yeah so and then and then i promptly got sick that night and i was sick the whole thanksgiving weekend no, which is <laughs> just always the best nothing i know like being sick for the holidays i know but um so you know so i did watch a few uh, holiday films so our daughter and i watched um, nightmare before christmas and then yes, i watched uh yeah and i watched um the nativity story which is really well done. Uh, if you saw, if for folks who observe the religious part of Christmas, great film. And then, uh, and then also I watched uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street since that begins, you know, with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yeah, I you hope know. you mean the the original version. Yeah, the, yes, the black and white, not <laughs> okay. even the colorized version. Yeah, yeah, no, I yeah. hate when they colorize stuff unnecessarily. Yeah. That's I, I was losing my mind during one of the segments that we played during the marathon show. Uh, it was about holiday entertainment, and Katrina uh, Manzoni brought up Miracle on 34th Street, and then she's like, the 1994 version, though. Like, oh, you have to be kidding me. 
Come no, on. but you know, there was one in between that I never saw the, I don't know if I saw the 94 version, so I don't think I could bring myself to it, to do it, because I thought, why <laughs> remake it? But there was a made-for-television one. You'd have to Google it. Um, I was still living at home, so uh, so it was fairly early on. Sebastian Cabot, folks who remember Family Affair, he was Mr. French. He was Santa Claus, if I remember correctly, and uh-huh. it was not good. <laughs> Even by my um, my young standards at the time, Excellent. and and uh, I don't know, I, I don't even know if it's if they ever released it for home video. I'm I sure I it's would out hope there somewhere. I would hope not. And the the thing that got me with the remakes is some some of the magic was missing because you know in the original Santa or Kris Kringle spoke Dutch, which. That's a bit of an unusual language. And they always had him speaking Spanish in the remakes. And I thought, you know, if you live in California, that's that's not an unusual language <laughs> to know how to speak. So no. it lost some of its magic for me. <laughs> so anyway, but um, yeah, so, so I got to watch some of the holiday films and I watched the Macy's Parade and... And, um, yeah, I didn't get to watch it this year, so just I forgot to DVR it, and then, uh, then by the time I realized that, it was already like one o'clock. So I'm like, okay, well, mm-hmm. next year. I bet it's it's probably on YouTube. It's it yeah. probably is. It might even be on like Hulu. Sometimes they reshow specials and stuff, but I, I at this point, <clears throat> I I don't think I could actually sit down and watch it. I have too mm-hmm. much stuff. I'm falling into my normal trap of. I said I wasn't going to start watching Christmas movies early because then I was going to finish them all uh, really soon. And now it's like I'm looking at it and it's like, okay, well, it's December 1st is rapidly approaching and I am running out of time to watch them. So, oh. Wait, it's how many movies do you have? I, I mean, we have a lot, but I'm, I mean, I have like five versions of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. <laughs> I watch about 15 different ones, I would oh, okay. say. Not 15 different versions of a Christmas Carol, but just fifteen different movies. So it's it's tough because sometimes you you just you don't have that time, and it's like okay, well I'll watch it tomorrow, and then tomorrow doesn't happen, and life gets crazy. But it's fine. Uh, I, I watch know, Christmas it, movies usually until like January fifth or sixth, anyway. So that's still the season. Twelve <laughs> yeah. days of Christmas. Yeah. I ordered a DVD because I've never seen this, and you will appreciate this. The Emmett. Otters Jug, jug Band, Band Christmas. Yeah. Yes, I have never seen it, and I found the 40th anniversary DVD. Yeah, it for was sale. Which everybody said, from what I read, is the good one because somehow Disney and Henson that was the version they reconciled, so that all of the Muppet scenes are restored. Yeah, the there's scenes. There's a lot of there's a lot of discrepancies with it. So. Um, Basically, it's it's one of those issues where no one really remembers what actually was in the original HBO broadcast version. Mm-hmm. So um, some people claim that there was all these Kermit segments. Other people claim that those Kermit segments were added in for later broadcasts. But because they were added in, they should still be good. Then songs were cut out at points in times and then added back in. And it's so... 
hoping that it's supposed to come out on Blu-ray too, alongside mm-hmm. the. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be showing in theaters with yes, the Fraggle Lock bring that rock special. Um, mm-hmm. We're hoping that for fans of Emma Daughter that that it will be the true definitive edition that hits Blu-ray in theaters and everything. Mm-hmm. Everything will be the way it's supposed to be with it, but you know it's a it is a charming special. It's it's one of my my favorite Christmas things to watch, I you, and I, I tried to it. I tried to get the vinyl on Black Friday. It was one of the record store day limit, limited releases. There's only like two thousand made, and I had to to watch a guy two people in front of me in line check out with the last copy from my record store. And yeah, now. you know they they turn up on the internet at like the regular price. I mean, I have there was stuff I missed on record uh, store day, yeah. and then I found them later and online, and it's it's the regular price. So yeah. I don't That's know what, what I'm happens. Hoping. So, um, but um, uh, yeah, I I saw that it was playing um at Fathom. This thing Fathom Events Theater, but this this cost me like nine dollars. So I yeah. figured, ah, you know, for nine bucks, you'll love it. It's it's yeah. really. I'm looking forward really to great. it. It's, it's one of the few Christmas films I don't have. Yeah. So, except for Hallmark versions, I don't have any of those. Yeah, good. Anyway, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what we're going to start talking about today is uh, the, the you know the Destination D event that you and I were at, and I. I wanted to talk about, you know, we had our Connecting with Walt meetup, you know, at the Outer Rim Lounge at the Contemporary Resort, you know, on Friday, November 16th. I think we had a great time at that. Don't you? I, I do agree. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it was just slightly delayed. I had to put together the last couple uh, last couple bits of what you, you were saying there. And I yeah. once I translated it. I do agree. We did have we did have a good time there. Um, it was lots of people showed up. Uh, yeah, you know, it was exactly what we hoped for. People coming and going, more people than I expected to be there for sure. And you know, it's uh, some people just wanted to come up and take a picture and say hi, and then leave. And other people got to to hang out and chat mm-hmm. for you know even a couple hours so it was yeah it was it was a really good time that we all had it, so it was it was wonderful and you know some people were so nice because they were you know, they waited very patiently for us yeah as um folks um were chatting and all that so i'm hoping we get we you know were able to say hello to everybody and exactly uh, yeah and but it was wonderful so thank you so much to everybody who showed up i was i was there for you know, a week before at the park at Walt Disney World, I met so many people yeah. that I, I, I can't even remember all their names. <laughs> uh, they were just, and everybody was just so wonderful and nice and friendly and very grateful for all the work we put into the show. And of course, we're very grateful that you appreciate the work and that you listen to our stories yeah. and put up with us. Well- and and um, I did want to say thank good. you to to one person in particular, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Sonia. She was nice enough to give both of us a, a little gift. So um, yes, it's you, no one was required to bring gifts. I just need to to put that on the record. But she did, and it was very mm-hmm. thoughtful and very sweet. So thank you very much, Sonia. Yeah, I, a couple of people actually. Sonia brought 
a gift and in somebody else. People had heard, <laughs> have heard me complain that in Folsom, we get none of the Mickeyest, 90th stuff. And um, so people brought little, th- some little things that they came across here and there, whether it was a little Mickey 90th um, reusable shopping bag that they came across at a grocery store or whatever. It's amazing what they have made for this. Yeah. 90th anniversary so yeah i really appreciate it because like everything that people shared i've never seen it i have seen it on advertised but i have never seen it in this town i am now on the hunt for those oreos you talked about those double peppermint ones i have seen every flavor there is but not those peppermint ones (laughs) see i I wish i would have known i would have i would have bought uh I would have bought a package, and then when we we were together, I would have given them to you, so you could have taken oh, well. them home. They yeah. probably would have got crushed in the luggage anyways. Oh, I would have carried those on. <laughs> it's like Pete and jewelry, you and Oreos, they're carry-ons. That's right. That's right. That's right. And popcorn buckets are yep. carry-ons, uh-huh. too. So, well... As we were mentioning, on November 17th and 18th, D23, the official Disney fan club, held their Destination D events celebrating Mickey Mouse at the Contemporary Resort in Walt Disney World. So over the next two episodes of Connecting with Walt, Craig and I are going to take you there and share what we learned, or I'll share what I remember anyway. Um, and Yeah, and, and of course, folks who have seen me... Um, on video, you know, online with um, when I report for our D23 Expo for the Diz, you know, my, my yellow pad is became very famous a, a year, a while back. So I, I have my notes and pads, so you're going to hear me sort of going back and forth, because we're not going to go in a chronological order. Just saying, you know, this is what happened on Saturday, this is what happened on Sunday. What we're going to do is, this week, we're going to focus on the presentations that that discussed Mickey Mouse. And then next week, we are going to share the presentations that covered like the Disney theme parks, um, the films, uh, D23 events, and then some miscellaneous topics and all that. And um, Because it, it wasn't all just about Mickey and Minnie. Exactly. So there, there are a lot of other things that went yeah. on there. And now, now if, mm-hmm. Sorry, I just had to get out in front of it, too, um, with, with this event. So you, you were talking about your notes. I was taking a lot of notes, too, but I was taking a lot of them via Twitter because uh, I was invited there by, by D23 in order to, to cover the event. But at the same time, too, I also did pay for a ticket, as I've <laughs> talked about for months and months and months. So um, while I did, I was there for actual uh, D23 coverage for media. I am not going to hold anything back with my thoughts and feelings in reviewing this because I did pay for a ticket, too. So I just some people there knew that I was there for media, but I just want to make it perfectly clear of the entire situation uh, before we jump into it, because there are some points that I'm not going to be positive, and there's other points I'm going to be raving about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, of course, there were shopping opportunities, like at any Disney events. There was mm-hmm. Mickey's of Glendale, and you know, which of course is the Imagineering, uh, you know, shopping. And there really weren't a lot of Destination D branded items there, so um, it was more um, Imagineering branded items mm-hmm. than than anything else. Uh, I know. Did you have a chance to go in that shop, Craig? 
Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I don't know. I, I try not to do as much shopping. I th- think I've mentioned that before. And I, I walk into the shops and it, first my eyes just blow up and every, I want everything. And then, then I take a step back and like, no, I don't really need anything. So, um, I, I don't really have anything too positive to say about the shopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they did have a, a event polo shirt. They had an event t shirt. Um, I was very happy that the and what I one of the things I did buy was they had long sleeve button down, you know, uh, Oxford style um, Imagineering shirts. Yeah, and, and by I the time liked those. I got yeah, and by the time I got in there, those were like the one things that did jump out to me, and I was like, oh. I need that, and of course there was none. There was one color still in my size, and it was the one color that I did not want. So oh, okay. that was unfortunate. Was it that brownish one? Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. And you, uh, you know, I I got I got a hat, so I always try to get a new hat because something unfortunate always happens to my Imagineering hats. The first one, <laughs> one of my dogs chewed on them. Um, the next one, it got ruined when I was wearing it during a hike, and just the sweat never came out. So uh, that was that was done for. So I'm on number hat number three, I think, maybe four. Uh, so it's, <laughs> you need we'll to see buy how long four or five has. at one time. <laughs> I know. I I need to just start stocking up so that way. When it happens, I don't have to wait for the next time there's a pop-up shop. But some of the Mickey and Minnie Runaway Railway merchandise was cool, though. The mm-hmm. debut merchandise in there. Yeah. Um, a jean jacket, a little train whistle. But if you don't like that Mickey and Minnie style, then the merch would not speak to you. Because it was that's, just the logo on everything. That's why I don't have any of it. <laughs> um, of course. Um, and, and if you wanted event pins, uh, det- the people with tickets... You know, they you had to order them in advance, and then you pick them up at the event. So, um, so there weren't any pins for the yeah, event on but sale it, there. Yeah, but they did say that they did that because that was the issue with events in the past mm-hmm. uh, with the lines is that everyone was clogging up the line yep. waiting for their pins. And uh, I, I mean, I didn't go in the line on Friday, but when I went. A couple times on Saturday and once or twice on Sunday, I walked right in the store each time. So, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess not doing pins helped a I, little bit, but maybe I think, people just yeah. got their shopping out of the way on Friday. Yeah, I think a lot of people did. Yeah. But um, there were a couple of pins there. If you bought these little um, Mickey and Minnie um, anniversary plushes with Mickey and Minnie in their, you know, their what anniversary clothes costumes mm-hmm. the you know the confetti and balloons that are white there were two special edition pins that came with each you know you got a mickey one if you bought the mickey plush a mini pin if you bought the mini plush so. yeah. and those plushes did not go as fast as they thought they would ah uh, yeah they didn't there was still quite a bit left over there yeah so i was surprised they they were a little I don't know. I don't think they were quite the right size. They didn't I mean, come out very usually well. you can tack limited edition on anything, though, and they'll sell. But mm-hmm. these didn't. But they they were cute. It's just I don't need more plushes in my life. Yeah. I can only have so many. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the Mickey Marketplace was also there. And that was, you know, like Ray-Ban was there yes, with their yes. 
glasses and the archives were there selling photos. They had um, Tashin was there, you know, uh-huh. with their big books, including that the new Mickey Mouse. That was massive. Book. I had no idea it was that big because I have the previous version that I've used as a reference for the show that is more of a normal style book. So I thought they were just updating that book. This is huge. Yeah. It was like, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I, it's like, maybe think of what the earliest laptop was if it came in like uh-huh. a giant suitcase that you yes. could carry it around. And that's, that was basically it. I, I wanted to pick it up just to see how heavy it was, but I didn't. I just kind of oogled it from far away, but yeah. I saw lots of people walking out with it. So yes. I guess yeah, they had I thought, $600 I think more dollars than I had. I think it was um, 13 pounds, that book. Okay, so uh, I think I read that somewhere. Two newborn babies put together. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, now I pre-ordered the book so on Amazon, so I wasn't going to buy it there. So anyway, so there, there was that. Oh, and they had um, Stife there. We had talked about those. Um, you talked on an earlier episode about those Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. I, saw I think them they there. were there. And They're a little smaller than I thought they would be. Uh, a for little the price. smaller. <laughs> These things, <laughs> just to put it into perspective, I would say they were. Uh, to say that they were as big as the palm of your hand would be an overstatement, unless you're a child. I would say if you're a fully grown adult, cut your hand in half, and that's how big these things were. They were tiny and yeah. four hundred dollars. So mm-hmm. I hope no one took my advice to to get those ones because <laughs> <laughs> I would feel terrible. Yeah. So anyway, so 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 was there anything else that caught your eye? Mm, no, not not really in there. The the one thing that I did like that they did in there was the. Um, uh, the Walt Disney Archives was taking mm-hmm. some of the the photos that they pulled for this event, and they they put together these beautiful canvases, and they were only sixty dollars each. And so, like one of them was the the picture of Walt riding the train with the Mickey plush, and mm-hmm. there was one of uh, Mickey in his Epcot space uh, his space gear in early Epcot Center. Photos kind of like that that were... That that was one of those things that if I was looking for a splurge, I was probably going to go for that, but ultimately I didn't didn't walk away getting anything from the marketplace, and the only only thing I got was my hat from Mickey of Glendale's, so... Yeah, I didn't get anything from the marketplace. But speaking of the archives, the archives had a small exhibit there, and they actually had that plush... From um, that first day of Disneyland opening, Walt yeah. riding with the um, with Mickey on the train. Yeah, that was, was a surprise. Yeah, it was. it was really cool to see. Yeah, and in really good shape. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's as if it was one of those pieces where they they realized right away how important it was going to be. So it's like that right after they were done getting the shot they needed, someone's like, "Okay, take this off." Get it ready for the archives that didn't exist at that point in time yet. So, but it was they, cool. Yeah, and they had a lot of. Uh, it was primarily photos of yeah. of basically different events in Mickey's sort of career. Whether it was um, film, where you know maybe behind the scenes things, or you know Disney on Ice kind of stuff. Although it was the ice capades, um, to theme park events. 
like openings and dedications, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, there was there, there was small knickknacks in there too. Uh, you know, there was Mickey ear hats because you can't, you can't do an event about Mickey and not show, show off the ear hats. And mm-hmm. there was lots of little memorabilia throughout the years, like a bunch of people I were seeing, uh, we're seeing on social media saying when like we posted a, a photo of one of the Mickey cookbooks in there saying that they had that from when they were kids and I have that I still have that cookbook the cover <laughs> is barely hanging on it but I think that's one of the best of all the cookbooks they did yeah and see you have it too mm-hmm. um, there was Mickey's uh, 50th anniversary outfit in there mm-hmm. uh, sans Mickey just the outfit so mm-hmm. um they had a cool couple like of that. his outfits they had a couple of his outfits in there they did yeah and uh, they were really proud of uh showcasing the the kind of the progression of the mickey mouse attractions in there by showing the four different posters from from four parks so uh, with mickey mouse review and and um fill her magic and that mm-hmm. was kind of one of the big pieces they were having. And then there was a TV in there playing all these video clips, vintage video clips of, of Mickey Mouse. And that was something that they really wanted to show off to. So it was an interesting exhibit. It wasn't one that I felt like I could spend a lot of time in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking photos and videos, sure. But uh, when I walked back in to kind of look at it real quick, I, I think I was in and out in like five minutes. So there there wasn't a lot of depth to it. But, you know, it's a small pop-up event. Uh, Becky Klein from the archives talked about some of the pieces that she wanted to bring out, including the, the Mickey Mouse animatronic from Mickey Mouse Review. But ultimately, it's it's an event that happens for two and a half days on the opposite coast from where everything is stored at. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to transport bigger or more expensive, more costly items all the way across. So I get that for it. So it's, but it's still nice that they do that. I'm glad that they put together anything archives related for this event rather than just leave it as a a blank slate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, so getting into the presentations, uh, you know, there was the welcome ceremony, and uh, Mickey Mouse as uh, as the band concert leader, you know, opened the event, and he had the Walt Disney World Main Street Philharmonic uh, march in, and of course they played the Mickey Mouse Club march, and so that was cool, and um, so I like that. And then the the head of D twenty three, Michael Vargo, came out in his uh, Mickey themed outfit. And he didn't have yeah. the costume changes that <laughs> that um what was what was her name Valerie? Yeah, um, your guess had, is as good as mine. I got in. I, I, she's she's in my notes somewhere. But um, lots of costume changes. But I think this was the first and only time I've ever seen band leader Mickey. Uh, so that was that was a real nice treat. I was going crazy with with photos trying to get as many shots of him as mm-hmm. I could. It was, it was a nice cute little way to start things off. Got got everyone excited and in the mood to be there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We see him a little more often out at Disneyland. Band leader Mickey. Yeah, you're so, lucky. Um, yeah, yeah, cuz he'll he'll it's not uncommon for him to lead the the Disneyland band and all that. So 
up Main Street. But um, anyway, so Michael Vargo, you know, welcomed everybody. He talked about how Mickey Mouse is legendary, timeless, and adventurous, like his creator, um, Walt Disney. And uh, and then what was cool is, you know, Becky Klein um, from the Walt Disney Archives came out, and she showed the... Con- and this is an item that was in the archives, but she had the conductor baton of, of Carl, um, what is it, Eduardo, I think, yeah, um, yeah. That, that he used to conduct the music for Steamboat Willie. The family had loaned it to them for this event. Yeah, it was so, very neat. So, yeah, so that was very cool. And then they introduced the 11 uh, global Disney ambassadors who are in the audience. And I'd seen them earlier in the week before one of the parades at Walt Disney World. And um, they all, you know, they all drove through waving at everybody mm. and all that. So, so yeah, so they were there. So that was cool. And then what we're going to do next is we're going to move into, um, oh, her name was Veronica Kelly. That's who she was. Yeah, and she was right. the, yeah. She was the hostess of Destination D. And um, she had some interesting outfits over the weekend there was one where i thought oh my gosh when she uh, when she came out in it it might have been on sunday i don't remember which day it was i just thought what i said out loud everybody said laughing i said what the hell is she wearing you probably which one now was it talking about it was like this Mickey Mouse French bustier kind of looking yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, was, I know which one you're talking about now. It yeah. was like Rocky Horror Picture Show yeah. meets <laughs> Disney. I mean, it was wild. <laughs> Good description. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, who designed this and how'd they get away with it? It looks like something I would have seen in, um, you know, like Tokyo Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but anyway, she she talked about how uh, Mickey Mouse, uh, you know, continues to be a source of inspiration for the company. And then she uh, she and this was an introduction to the segment of Mickey of animating Mickey through the years with um, um, John Pomeroy, Mark Ken. And then (laughs) as became a running gag, legendary producer Don Hahn. (laughs) <laughs> and Don Hahn is, he's a hoot. Yes. I've heard him speak so many times. Of course, we've had him on the show. And I love his sense of humor. Um, yeah, he really know. kept a high energy throughout the entire weekend with this event. So it's every single time he came out, it was just like, oh, good, Don's back. And I don't, I don't mean that in a facetious way there. I mean, it was like, it was a comforting way. Yeah, absolutely. It was going to be good when he was coming out on stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he did a little. He did a little game with the the folks. Stumped the animators, and it was really you know they would show characters and they would guess who uh, who which of like the nine old men animated them. And, you know, like they had Figaro and uh, and so, of course, that was Eric Larson. So then they would talk about what they knew about Eric Larson, what his qualities were. Like he was a grandfather to animators. I mean, you know, sweet giving, a uh, very sharing of his knowledge. Then they had Gaucho Goofy and, and you know, and that's Willie Reitherman, um, who was a great leader, great to work with. Um, he ran animation. Walt handed in the keys to animation when Walt, you know, was focused on Disneyland. Um, they had 
they had Baloo and they had audio with that and they had Frank Thomas you know acting out you know Baloo and you know they show Tweedledee and Tweedledum of course that's classic Ward Kimball yeah I uh, the only thing I regret about this presentation is Mm -hmm. it was it was a great first presentation to kick off the Mm -hmm. the entire event except for the fact that we didn't really talk about it but uh Bob Chapek, before all of this, came out and made just, you know, like 30 theme park announcements in Mm -hmm. 15 minutes. So (laughs) I was I had to work entirely all the way through this panel. I was still in the room for it. And Mm -hmm. every now and then it would catch my eye and I'd pay attention for 30 seconds. But I just I missed this entire thing because I was glued to my phone. And uh, it just it was such a shame because it's it's like. I mean, granted, the general audience there wasn't tweeting for a website and writing up news stories and stuff like that. So it was only a small group of us in the media that were that had to miss out on this entertainment because of work. But it was what I was paying attention to. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, they uh, and and we are going to talk about Bob Chapek's uh, presentation you referred to next week. So, folks, so, so yes. don't worry, folks. Yep. You, you are going to hear about it. Buckle up. And, and, um, yeah, and so John Palmer has written a new book on Walt's imagination, which is, is all about Walt, some wonderful illustrations, and, and apparently some new information in there. That was for sale in Mickey's of Glendale. And, you know, it, it talked about how it all started with Oswald. You know, they say it always started with a mouse. But, of course, as we've talked about on the show, you know, Oswald came first. Um, Ub Iwerks, as mentioned, was the first artist and animator of Mickey. And, you know, how uh, – and that – Ub would animate like um, 15 to 25 feet a week, which is extraordinary, uh, you know, of um, – you know of drawings and yeah. and then they talked about how there was always a debate about how Mickey was proportioned and then they found evidence that you know um the quarter was the size of Mickey and then it was like then I think what the nickel was his head and the dimes were his ears yes and those are sort of the proportions i believe that of, um, is correct based on i did listen to that section yes mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they talk about how during the depression, you know, Walt became a, an entertainer, and he was the Merchant of Hope, and Steamboat Willie led to an ensemble of Disney characters, and then they got into how Mickey's appearances changed over the years, and it was always a product of the style of the era. So, um, so as he evolved, his shape began morphing from circles to more of a peanut shape, and this allowed him to uh, have more expression to mo- and, and to have more emotion. And we first see that shape of Mickey in Lonesome Ghosts. And then in the brave little tailor, uh, Freddie Moore um, updated Mickey's look. look and, and that really is the Mickey we came to know for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, it left a very deep impact in the animators. And he made it... Um, Mickey more fluid and more animated, and and they really say that that Freddie Moore was the grandfather of Disney appeal, um, and then Frank Thomas they said was a perfectionist 
and he was a taskmaster. So, you know, they talked about how um, he would, you know, he, they would bring drawings to him, and, and if he didn't like them, he would just throw them in the trash and make them start over again. Or he'd make them um, animate the same thing over and over again, like dozens and dozens of times until he felt they got it right. You know, um, so uh, they said during, uh, as they were doing uh, all through the Mickey years and all that, they were also like, you know, creating Mickey, they were creating Pinocchio, Bambi, Dumbo, Fantasia, and and also the, how Walt was the first studio to pay for art classes for his animators so that they could continue to progress in their art and style and all that. And then um, we, we've talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this on the Disneyland show or on this show. Um, Lady and the Tramp, that spaghetti scene, classic scene. It's probably almost everyone's favorite scene in that film. Walt apparently told Frank Thomas to stop working on the scene. It just didn't fit in, Walt said. Yeah. So Frank worked on it. He moonlighted and worked on it. And then he presented it during one of the sweatbox sessions. He just sort of snuck it in there. And Walt said, looks great, and walked out. And Frank always <laughs> wondered if Walt knew all along that if he told Frank to drop the scene, that he would actually animate the scene and and, and, and work even harder at animating it to prove it should be in the film. I'm glad it was because it, I mean, it's not only the most iconic moment in that movie, it's one of the most iconic moments in animation, period. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they talked about how Frank, um, during, when they, when they were animating the pointer, um, Mickey now, um, Mickey, Mickey now had, um, they had an idea as to how size he was because Mickey was redesigned for Fantasia and they filmed Walt, um, you know, a, a sort of um, voicing Mickey um, as a reference and acting out Mickey as a reference. And then it was during the pointer when um, that that was the famous scene when Walt, when Walt says, you know, you know me, I'm uh, to the, the bear, you know, I'm Mickey Mouse, you know, Mickey Mouse. And he puts out his hand to indicate that in Walt's mind, Mickey's about three feet tall. So that's how they knew um, what size to make Mickey, especially even like for the partner statue, you know, decades later. So um, mm -hmm. now, now Les Clark animated Sorcerer Mickey, and th that's really where they feel that um, he, he really brought um, sort of Mickey to life in a whole new way. And Les Clark started out as a teenager working at the studio and he would be there for um, 40 years. So um, so that's really amazing. In the 1940s, uh, they called this sort of the, the nifty um, 90s, sort of, sort of it, that was one of the, the um, shorts. Um, Mickey was streamlined by Freddie Moore, and he, they think he was very much influenced by the art of Ward Kimball. Um, in fact, in the Nifty Nineties, there are, there are caricatures of Ward and Freddie, uh, and they voice themselves. So, so if you haven't watched that, go ahead and watch it and see if you can identify who's who, who they are in there. 
In Fun and Fancy Free, Fun and Fancy Free, Mickey evolved yet again. John Lounsbury, who was a very quiet and innovative, but they said he was a dynamo on paper, did a sort of a, they said that he did a really mean Mickey Mouse, meaning, I mean, he was just really great. And this was with Willie and the Giant. And this is a trans, this is when, um, Walt transitioned the speaking role of Mickey to um, Jimmy McDonald. Um, and, and in fact, it was like during the making of it. So sometimes Mickey's, Walt is speaking for Mickey and sometimes Jimmy McDonald is speaking for Mickey. And Jimmy McDonald was the sound effects um, wizard at the studio at the time. In the 50s, Mickey became more casual. He was This was the little man era. Um, his proportions changed. He was a little taller. Um, this was also the Mickey Mouse Club era. And for the Mickey Mouse Club, he was also animated by John Lounsbury. And then, um, to, and then Tom um, Oreb... Uh, he designed um, he designed commercials. He he worked. He started out at Disney working on Sleeping Beauty, and he started. He was doing. He was in the television division for um, Disney. They did they did a lot of television commercials with the characters, and they showed a commercial for a 1955 Nash Rambler, and there's a very angular Mickey and Minnie, and they're very mid century style. Um, it's it very modernism and they stripped away all the detail and the shapes were very very simple um, looked nothing like the Mickeys from the films and, and there were a lot of little Mickeys <laughs> they were in the back seat of this Rambler with no seat belts you know, nothing, <laughs> you know. and then um, Mickey's Christmas Carol was uh, you know and Craig I'm sure that's one you watch every year it absolutely uh, yeah. is yeah Yep. That was Mickey's first appearance in 30 years. And then uh, and then also um, then Prince and the Popper. Um and he was drawn by Mark Hen who was on stage and he also did um Bernard and Bianca in um, The Rescuers Down Under. So he was drawing a lot of mice at the same time because he was doing Prince and the Popper and Bernard and Bianca. Yeah. And then, and so then they talked about how in 2013 for the Get a Horse short, they had to recreate the old style 1929, 1930s, um, you know, version of animation. They said they had to throw out everything they knew about animation and just get back to the basics. Because, you know, the whole gag in it was they had uncovered a um, an undiscovered, you know, a forgotten Mickey, Mickey and Minnie short. Exactly. And then, you know, it goes from there. And... Um, and and they the, the nice thing is they did show that short there, and then they they talked about how um, John Hench did the um, you know, the Mickey portraits every ten years, and Paul Felix did the twenty eighteen portrait, and Mark Hen did the twenty eighteen. Um, version of Mickey's official portrait, and it took him thirty hours. And they had they had set up a GoPro camera, and it recorded him creating the uh, the portrait. And so I think it took a snapshot every thirty seconds or every minute or I don't know what it was. And so um, so it was really interesting to watch it. You know, in just a couple of minutes, watch him do the whole portrait. Um, and then, have you seen um, Ralph Breaks the Internet yet? 
Craig? Not yet. That's actually uh, that's on my list for tomorrow night. So. Yeah, I, I'm hoping to see it this weekend as well. Um, but Mickey is in. He has a cameo in Ralph Breaks the Internet. So it's a real quick one. Keep an, keep an eye out for him. Um, look for the Oh My Disney <laughs> you exactly. know, area and all yeah. that. And, um, and he was animated by Mark Henn also for that. So it was really interesting. They did not get into the um, current version, uh, the, you know, the 90 shorts or so that have been done for, you know, for online uh, and all that, that, that also play on the Disney Channel. But, um, you know, I... No, I, you know, as you know, I'm not a fan of that style, but I have more of an appreciation for how Mickey changes to the style adapts to whatever the current art style is. Because, you know, I'm we're seeing that style like with the Star Wars, you know, cartoon series, you know, a very yeah. different style. And Eternal Cartoon the- Network, it's all over the place. It's just, yeah. it's that it's frantic. It keeps people's attention it uh, definitely has an interesting vibe to it and i will say that at any time whether it was in the panels or in uh behind closed doors for like the media events it's everyone appreciates mickey's progression it's because as you just kind of mentioned in terms of how he has uh evolved over time it's he has changed periodically so this mickey will will eventually evolve too so it's yeah i'm just afraid what it's going to evolve into because this to me this is such a departure from you know previous versions of him i don't know i i don't have an appreciation yet for him it's he could be better but I have more of an appreciation for him after this weekend, at least, than I did before. Okay. I do, too, a little, but but not a tremendous... Not to where I'm now going to go to the Disney Channel and or go on YouTube and watch these shorts. Okay. So, well, um, well, anyway. <laughs> progress. Still made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So, um, I might watch those before I watch Muppets Take Liberty Square. So oh, <laughs> the big Magic words. Kingdom. <laughs> so anyway, but um, anyway, so so that was that. So it was very interesting and it was very entertaining. You know, I wish um, we could get across the humor that that was in that panel, but um, you know, there, there's some things that we can't translate. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, that's what this event is. You have to be there to get a lot of this stuff um it's the way that they describe destination d as a whole it's this is the nerdy the nerdy true disney geek history buff uh event for us d23 is for that average everyone loves disney anyone can go there find something they appreciate with it this is a very niche uh, niche part of Disney fandom, but they're able to tap into it, and so you know, it's a bunch of I agree. nerds laugh together at some of this stuff. Don't, they they find everything interesting. It's don't you feel there's a, there's like a sort of a vibe, a camaraderie vibe at Destination D that you don't quite get at the D twenty three Expo? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it, it's where with the with Expo. 
everyone can be there for different reasons. Some people mm-hmm. might be there solely for Marvel, others Star Wars, some just for movies in general, others for only theme parks, some for merchandise, some for cosplay. It's everyone mm-hmm. is all over the place with why they're heading there, but the end goal is everyone still loves Disney and they that's why they're there, but with this it's everyone is there because they are the biggest geeks when it comes to Disney history and Disney fandom. And I feel like that's why we do have that camaraderie with everyone in the room. Um, it's there's We might love other aspects of Disney, but at least for this history part of it, if, if you don't like that, then you're in the wrong place. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. The, the next panel we're going to talk about is uh, Weird Disney. And this is the early Mickey years. Now, Weird Disney has been a presentation that Becky Klein, the director of the Walt Disney Archives, has done at these events. And it's always a, a topic that the theme always has to do with whatever the topic of Destination D is. So this time it was the early Mickey years. And, I, I, and I'm hoping you can fill in some advice because I, I don't know why I lost interest in this as I, I went along. But, um, but I... Uh, some of it was interesting. Some of it I didn't find all that weird. But there was a payoff at the end, though, that I really appreciated. And um, but uh, so what she talked about was how Mickey Mouse was very experimental in the beginning. So that there were a whole lot of projects that involved him in the '30s. A lot of them never saw the light of day. A lot were very odd. Then she talked about how like things like. I don't know, it was like random stuff, like the short barnyard battle, what was abandoned in Germany because the mice wore German helmets. Um, Scandinavia, um, they they called Mickey Mouse mentally unwholesome. Uh, the comic book, um, Blaggard Castle, uh, Castle, they said um, it had Horace Ho- Horse Collar. Uh, it, they, they said that Mickey Mouse... Um, and, and Mickey Mouse were in it. The children were terrified, and they wouldn't. And because of it, they wouldn't get X-rays because there was a mad scientist in there, and all that. And it had something to do with um, I don't know what was it. Was it swapping brains or doing something? I don't recall. I, yeah, I think it was swapping brains. <clears throat> yeah, and that. Um, and so Walt Disney had to write a letter <laughs> to the doctor's office because the doctors complained, saying how, you know, whenever um, whenever Mickey and he and Mickey and all that, they're, when they're sick and all that, they always go to the doctor and, and they always do exactly what the doctor tells them to do. And he signed it and all that. So anyway, so they, they talked about some of the live events in the early 30s, which we actually talked about on our show, which was the, the yeah. um, Harry Wooden who started the Mickey Mouse Clubs and theaters. Actually, that aired the day Destination D started. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah. it was one of the one of the pieces that they pulled for it. Of course, was the uh, if you saw our posting for that episode or just seen it anytime before on one of like the weird sites or anything, the photo of the Mickey Mouse Club where they're all wearing their masks in the. Mm-hmm auditorium and i chose that for our photo to represent yeah. the episode and they showed it was great yeah yeah that was great it yeah their paper masks creepy. the children are given yeah. yeah i and they played the mini yoohoo theme song of the club um yeah. that was actually yeah, from the mickey mouse short mickey's follies and we all got to sing along it, it cost a nickel and you had to bring a clean potato or a toy for the salvation army 
depending upon the time of year and all that. So um, anyway, um, they showed some early parade floats with Mickey Mouse and characters. And a lot of these were sort of uh, locally made ones, you know, whatever town these floats were in. Um, that One of them they showed was like the New Year's Day parade with Gimbel's department store and stuff. So, you know, they were crude, but I thought oh, they were yeah. they were they were interesting. Uh, yeah, and, like the one that I have a photo of, there's it looks like, you know, there's a Mickey sitting on it, but then there's a whole bunch of, like, paper mache characters also uh-huh. with, like, big giant heads. And then there's one random cat sitting at the front of the float, too. So, just odd. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if that was Felix the cat hitching a ride or something. I, I wasn't too no. sure. <laughs> so, anyway. But um, they talked about some of the early stage musical shows that... that featured Mickey Mouse. They talked about Toots Novell, and he would um, tap dance on a pole, and, um, and 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 then there would be these then like Mick dancing Mickey plushes and all that. And this is a show that traveled like the world. It traveled the United States and Europe. And he also um, he they they also performed with Barnum and Bailey Circus. And they're they're also some of you may have seen a photo. It's, um, you know, Mickey Mouse had his own car at the Hyperion Studios. And you, there's a photo of Walt and um, next to the car, or sort of behind it, and Mickey sitting on the car waving. That's Toots Novelle. And then they showed a photo of Toots in the costume, but Mickey's um, head is under his arm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Anyway, so um, they also talked about how live um, mice circuses were popular. You know, I guess little live rodent acts or they something. They did, I, yeah. Um, yeah. Mickey Mouse Circus of Live Mice Through World's Wonder Attractions. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, that was an interesting curiosity. And yeah, yeah, these Mickey Mouse... These Mickey Mouse shows toured in France and Britain and its colonies, and they were very popular. Um, the British, <laughs> Becky Klein said, went rogue, and they created the um, Wedding of Mr. Mickey Mouse and took it on the road as a show. And and these, again, these were, you think those Disneyland um, opening day costumes, the Ice Capade costumes were scary? Uh, these, these were... These were even yeah. better. <laughs> and and they took it on the road as a show. It was a huge sensation in Sydney and New Zealand. It premiered in Yorkshire, and um, all the costumes were homemade for this. And then they showed a lot of photos of homemade Mickey Mouse costumes that people made in the heydays of the Mickey Mania you know, of the 30s. And they, they were cute. And I've seen these in a, a lot of the books the Disney history books and all yeah, that. And, and th- yeah, that was that was kind of a recurring trend with this. A lot of the photos shown, uh, while there were some unique ones, a lot of it was stuff that is pretty well out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and they showed some of the early company-made costumes, you know, and all that as well. What, they talked about one of the films I watched every single Christmas season as a boy. The Laurel and Hardy Babes in Toyland, or it's also known as March of the Wooden Soldiers. Have you ever seen that film? I actually have seen it. Um, I love this. (laughs) Yeah, I... A couple years ago, on 
TCM I tried to record, mm-hmm. I thought it was Babes in Toyland, like the the mm-hmm. Disney version, and I didn't I didn't look at the posting. I just saw Babes in Toyland pop up. I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna record that. It was before I bought the Blu-ray of it, so uh, obviously I was surprised when I went to play it and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the Disney version of it, and but it was it was awesome. So isn't it? Um, it's, I, it's great. It yeah, is I, great. Um, I don't. I yeah, still well, have it on my DVR, so I'm not sure if they show it every year all the time or if it was just a random one off. But if you have yeah. a chance to see it, watch it. Yeah, uh, when I was a boy, this was you know it was like like you know how a Christmas story plays every year now on television. This was something that back in the day played every year at Christmas time. So, um, for for kids. Uh, anyway, Disney allowed um, Mickey Mouse to be portrayed by a monkey in a Mickey Mouse suit. This is worth the price of admission, kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they showed some clips from it, and I vividly remembered these clips. Like when Mickey's throwing, what was it, hand grenades or bombs or yeah. something out of the little yeah. balloon. And um, also, what they don't mention is it's also the three little pigs. They um, used actors in, I think they were little people, in um, yeah. pig costumes. Um, but they also had, Disney had agreed to allow his version of the three little pigs to be represented yep. in it. So, um, um, just to yeah. <laughs> step back for a second too, you can watch babes in Toyland on Monday, December 24th at 11 a.m. on TCM. If you want to watch okay. the Laurel and Hardy version, set your DVRs. Yes. Um, to, I, I'm, I'm going to look for it. I mean, it is so good. Yeah. So um, anyway, and I hope it's not the colorized version because they it's did not. colorize it when that became a thing. No, it's a, 80s, TCM so. does not show colorized versions. <laughs> okay, good, good. Okay, um, they talked. They, they did show a lot of merchandise. Um, they showed some of the um, Halloween costumes that were available. I remember a lot of these. Was it was it Ben Davidson or whatever? Who did those, you know, vinyl costumes with the plastic masks that you could barely breathe out of mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that were popular in the 60s? They, you know, they had all the Disney characters. Um, they have, okay, now this is weird. They had a photo of J. Edgar Hoover wearing a Mickey Mouse costume at a party, a Mickey Mouse mask at a party. Oh, I forgot so, about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a... I thought, how do you know it's J. Edgar Hoover? But I, I guess somebody new they had talked about another mask and and um in during world war ii um they made mickey mouse style gas masks for children these went into production in england because they were concerned about chemical warfare um then and um and it was in a little decorated um canister kind of thing they didn't go into wide production but um they did use them um Anyway, uh, they talked about, again, some of the different iterations of Mickey Mouse. Like, Mickey Mouse had teeth. Uh, you know, it was in, um, you know, in Plain Crazy. We talked about this. That was a brief era. After the war, they, you know, Mickey with teeth was gone. Um, but they um, created a line of Mickey Mouse toothbrushes and tooth products. And they, sh- like, um, Mickey Mouse Milk of Magnesia Toothpaste. I, I guess you got two things done at the same time. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you did. So, 
Yeah, yeah. So, and then they they showed a, uh, I guess it was a short that was made, Mickey's Toothache. Well, it, they were going to make it, and they didn't. It was, um, but they showed the pencil drawings. Um, Pete was a very scary dentist, you know. So, um, you know, anyway, but, um, and then... Then they showed, and I brought this up when we talked about the Celebrating Mickey Blu-ray, that this wasn't on it, and I was so disappointed, and they showed it. Mickey's Runaway Brain from 1995. Yeah, it was an excellent ending. Yeah, and that is so good. I mean, it is so different. I don't know why Disney um, has tried to sort of remove themselves from, separate themselves from this. But it is really, really good. So um, yeah, no, so anyway, it's um, I I love Runaway Brain. It is mm-hmm. just it, it is cool because I I mean I haven't I, I know it's available uh, you know not legally um, at least on on YouTube or mm-hmm. Vimeo places like that. But yeah, I you know it's it's been years and years and years since I've seen. It. I guess the last time I probably would have saw it was when it was with a goofy movie so um it, it was just a delight getting to watch it again an awesome awesome short so i hope that i hope that it gets uh, picked up at least maybe when uh when the streaming service starts that it'll be added on there under like mickey mouse shorts or something yeah i hope so I, i'm hoping maybe they'll start embracing it again they, yeah they need to the next yeah, they do. I agree. The next panel is Mickey the Movies again. This was hosted by our friend of the Diz, Don Hahn. Um, he talked about, he started out talking about the Academy Awards in 1932 when Walt won an honorary Oscar for creating Mickey Mouse. He also did a film for the Oscars um, that were designed by Joe Grant. It was only shown at the Academy Awards, and it was a pr- the parade of, of um, actors who were nominated academy awards and all that and i i could name a whole lot of them but there are a couple i wasn't too sure about i don't know did you recognize them all craig no no (laughs) no yeah a few were obscure yeah but um they they talked they talked about a 1934 film called hollywood party and he said this was before the hayes code which is you know it's the um you know the rating it was the precursor to the rating code we have today and it's it starred mickey mouse and walt disney's hot chocolate soldiers um and it had lots of hollywood stars and starlets you know, in that one, that was interesting. In in, in 1937's the big broadcast of 1937, um, Leopold Stick that, that was Leopold Stokowski's film. He wanted to do more films, especially surrounding music, but he couldn't get um, any studios interested. So that's when he approached Walt Disney and about his idea for a film that ultimately became Fantasia. And of course. Um, Within a, within you know a year of Fantasia, the world was at war. So and of course Fantasia was Mickey's sort of the Mickey's reintroduction yeah. to the audience yeah. as the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, they talked about um, Minnie. 
how she gave her all also for the war effort. Um, she was in her own short called Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Firing Line in 1942. It was all about um, about how it was very important to save your cooking fat for the war effort because the fat could be made into glycerin for bombs. Exactly. So, yeah, this was um, which, uh, this was a big one. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. Well, it really it. showed. It really showed how, um, you know, it, everyone was giving their all. I mean, in this effort. I mean, you know, it, everything mattered. Yes. You know, at that time. So um, anyway, um, they, they got they got into. Um, Fun and fancy free, and, and and Mickey and you know the you know those the compilation films you know, and and Mickey and the Beanstalk they, and they talked about how Mickey was open to taking on any any role at this point in his career as a leading man, you know, and, and that was all the way to Prince and the Pauper, you know. Um, they talked about uh, 1988 and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and that was back when no one was doing animation anymore. Exactly. Except Walt Disney. And that Disney could borrow characters from other studios. And yeah. the city said, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, and they drove the point home that that, that would not happen today. But it not was just, all. it happened right at the, just at the perfect time in Hollywood. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we, we wouldn't have that at all. And that, that awesome, especially speaking of the awesome moment of Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny parachuting mm-hmm. down together with Bob Hoskins. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and they and they showed that clip, which is yeah. great. Oh, then you know the whole story behind that clip is is that Warner Brothers insisted Mickey Mouse have the same number of words as uh, the Bugs Bunny had the same number of words as Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so it's, it's, um, I love that movie overall. I know, me too. So, um, and then, um, but my favorite, one of my favorite scenes though is is the Donald Duck. Daffy Duck scene playing the pianos. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. That is so hilarious. So then I have a notation Mickey Mouse in Movie Time 2015, or in Movie Tune 2015, and I have no explanation for it. <laughs> I, don't I don't quite remember either. <laughs> so I don't know. Look, Google it, kids. <laughs> Let's see. And then they talked about the MGM um, studio tour. I remember this film from the early days of the studio, where they they showed this as part of the back backlot tour. They showed, the, I think it was the backlot tour. They showed this. Um, it was Mickey's audition, and Roy E. Disney is playing Walt Disney, and it was all um, about how Mickey got his big break. In Hollywood, and but the cameos in this were amazing. Angela Lansbury is Walt's secretary, Sylvia, but Mel Brooks is in it. Dom DeLuise, Jonathan Winters, Carol Kane, Michael Eisner. Um, It's it's um, it was a hoot. Oh yeah, it absolutely was. This was this was one of those gems when Mm -hmm. you you just have to sit back, kind of like Runaway Brain was, and just enjoy the moment because you don't know when the next time you're ever going to see that again like preserved so well and on a big screen like that it it was just it was so much fun to watch it was yeah when they showed um filming steamboat willie and i'm looking at this i'm watching this i think was mel brooks the director 
And I'm looking at this thinking, is Jonathan Winters sitting on that camera? Because he was way in the back and you could barely see him. And I thought, a big comedian like Jonathan Winters is, is hidden back there? And yeah. I think they gave him like one line. I mean, it, it was great. But so, it was nice um, with Roy playing Walt coming in mm-hmm. and and greedy Mickey Mouse. It, it was just entertaining <laughs> overall. And I I remembered after we moved on what movie time was. That was when mm-hmm. you were happy enough that they showed the the new Mickey Mouse style short movie time in its full length. The one where um, it's movie night and the storm comes. Oh, that's right. That's probably why I made no notation <laughs> about it. Yeah, yeah. The it's Mickey and uh, Minnie are trying to settle down to watch a movie, and then he goes to the store for snacks and doesn't. And Minnie's watching the television, and it's like the storm of the century supposed to hit, yeah. but Mickey leaves and. This is quite a storm. <laughs> and, yeah, um, yeah it, it's it, it's actually funny. It's but, a huge one. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyway, thank you. For that. You're now I remember. Yeah. So <laughs> okay, we're gonna move on. That that was really it. Really, it was yeah. it was entertaining. It was good. And um, then then came the next one. Um, Inside Mickey's True Original Exhibition. This is about, uh, uh, I guess, a pop-up exhibition. It's currently in New York City. I'd really be interested if any of our, if anybody out there sees this, let us know what you think because I, I think I formed an opinion um, based on what they showed. And, and uh, uh, Craig, I'll be interested in hearing what you thought of this. Um, anyway, Becky Klein came back as as the host and she had um darren i think his name is romanelli he was the director of the exhibit and i guess what his the company he started does is they um they personalize media and resurrect brands and his company i think is called is it street vine street virus something like that street virus and um so anyway so it's Apparently, this is experimental. It's part or ex- experiential. Um, it's part art museum, part art gallery, and part funhouse. So they started working on it about eighteen months ago at the archives, and they just started brainstorming. And what? Um, so Darren wanted to focus on a few key moments in Mickey Mouse's history, and of all the art there, there's only one piece that was not created especially for the exhibit. So um, so they showed a lot of pieces for it, but it seemed to be that what they did is they, they really employed a lot of local artists and international artists to sort of create their own um, impressions, interpretations, um, reactions to Mickey and recorded in in the medium they're most um, well known for. Mm-hmm. So, um, how would you, how would you describe this? <laughs> the the panel, yeah, or and, the exhibition? And sort of, because to uh, me, the uh-huh. panel was a situation where, and I I mean no offense with this, it, it just did not hit 
And I don't think it resonated for a lot of the audience. I, I do know yeah. people who live in the Northeast that are planning on going to it and have gone to it. But this just... It, it felt like they just needed to fill a slot. So they're like, okay, let's get the guy who did this exhibit to come down and talk about it. And while I think it's it's probably really awesome to go there and see it and be in this like kind of essentially like a pop culture mickey mashup museum uh it's it's not something that is really interesting to hear about like i i could have gotten everything i needed out of five minutes in it just tell me the basics of it (laughs) sell me on why i should go up instead it it just went on and on and on and i it's he the the guy who is running it and started it he's done this for other companies too uh he's come mm-hmm. up with marketing campaigns and such for other companies and he's worked yeah, like disney levi's before. didn't he wrap yeah. like a, a skyscraper in levi Dinner yeah it was something, something yeah. like that i think in like <laughs> singapore it was like oh we're gonna cover an entire side of the building with with levi's and um like putting together parties and just all these interesting things and like i just said he he's worked with disney before too it's just i i'm probably not going to get up to new york to see this exhibit Mm -hmm. and it's so i don't really care about it so i just wasn't the audience for this i i i I was on my phone a lot kind of scrolling at this point Mm -hmm. yeah i i wasn't that impressed I thought some of the art was interesting to look at, but um, and I, I thought, okay, they're speaking to a younger audience, a hipper audience. They're trying to, you know, they're talking to that next generation, and you know, I kind of I thing. Can and, see that, but that's mm-hmm. not the crowd that goes to Destination D. Not not. Yeah. I don't, don't want to just like leave it and say that no, no young people go. Plenty of young people go, but um, this just didn't hit we go to destination d again because we want this history we want we want these cool moments and (laughs) it did not deliver yeah there was one because you know i i met up with folks um afterwards you know you know all Mm -hmm. during the you know like in the evenings and all that destination after the events were done and we we talked about this particular presentation and i think the moment when we saw and I'm sure this is a very gifted artist, but the one where basically she hung all the plushes on what seemed to be a giant coat rack kind of thing, all the Disney plushes. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and we all just started. I think that was the moment where everybody just said, uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. I think we could recreate that. <laughs> we probably have enough plushes in our homes to do this. <laughs> you know, it, so. just because everyone's an artist doesn't mean everyone should create art. <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, so it was interesting. So I would say, you know, it's the, the exhibition is running from now through February 2019. So if you happen to wander by 60th Avenue between 14th and 15th in <laughs> New York, it's in Chelsea Market beneath the High Line, which everybody, people went, ooh, so I, I guess this is a place um stop in i it's a pretty hefty admission too isn't it i thought for something like this i do not remember what they said for it but i'm sure it is you know it's new york it's art 
people want to yeah. feel fancy, so they're going to overpay for something. <laughs> anyway, and and you know what? It, it, like you know, like and like you said, Craig. Maybe they're just talking to the run wrong crowd, and folks um, might really, really enjoy this. Yeah. So um, anyway, so okay. The next one was was um, archiving the show mouse of the world, and let's see here. Summing through my notes again. This was. Um, this is uh, from folks at the Walt Disney Archives, and I, I didn't finish writing down all their names. And but anyway, but Kevin Kearns was one one of them, and then Mike somebody or other. I don't know if you knew who it was. They were very entertaining. They seemed like nice guys. Yeah, um, I, I know who you're talking about. I don't have anything with their names, and I'm just trying to go through my notes and find this one. <laughs> And yeah, it was on Saturday. That helps two thirty-five. Okay, I, I will get there. So. <laughs> but anyway, they talked about uh, items from the archives that sort of tells the uh, tale of Mickey Mouse, you know, and um, pun intended, I suspect. And uh, anyway, so um, so th- th- they started out, of course, with Oswald, and they had they showed the contract, you know, well an image, you know, they projected it, that Walt signed for the Oswald series, and he showed the 15th clause that yeah. was the beginning of Mickey Mouse, because that was what, that was the clause that indicated basically Walt did not own Mickey. Walt did not have the rights to Mickey. Yes. So, um, anyway, and they showed also Walt's signature. It was very simple at the time, because as you... You know, there's lots of examples of Walt's signature in history books and all that. And and Walt's signature developed over time as he um, became better known and his uh, and and he was given autographs. He he developed a more stylized signature that we that we're more familiar with today. Um, they talked about the Steamboat Willie story script that when, and, and we've talked about this on the show, that when, um, you know, when his office was being, uh, you know, um, archived by Dave Thomas, um, you know, back several years, actually, after Walt died in the 70s, one of, everybody says, oh, Walt didn't hang on to things and all that, although he did. One of the things that was in his desk was the original storyboard script for Steamboat Willie. He always kept it yeah. in there. And, um, and so they showed um, one of the Steamboat Willie production sheets and all that and um so they they had they, they talked about how um mickey's birthday was celebrated in in many ways on different days over yes. time yeah but that they had an original um colony theater program that established his first um you know appearance on november 18th you know when steamboat willie was officially officially shown at the colony theater so um, then they showed a lot of early merchandise items, you know, Mickey Mouse watches, dolls, um, tablets, books. A lot of that's on display at the Walt Disney Family Museum. There are some examples of that. And um, in 1954, the Disneyland television series um, devoted a whole um, episode of um, Mickey Mouse. And there was this um, 
Mouska directory with the Mouseketeer words and all that. But there was this book that Walt had that, um, going back to that, that um, when Walt, Walt says, let's never forget, you know, it was all started by a mouse, you know, thing. And he opens this huge book. They have the book that yeah. Walt used. Yeah. And all that, which is cool. That was yeah. cool. That was very cool. Yeah. And, and, and then they showed the Mouska directory with all the Mouseketeer words. That you know, that basically all had Mouska in front of them. Exactly. I, I remember this. This this was used even in, for us too. But <laughs> um, anyway, um, a version of it. Um, in 1955, they talked about the uh, Mickey Mouse Club debuted, and that the archives has several items um, from a Net and Cubby, especially like the bass drum, um, Jimmy Dodd's mouse guitar, and all that. They had a few of the items. I think then they, they had some other Mickey Mouse Club items at the, in the archive exhibit. I think. Ye- so, yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, and then you know, of course, there's some on display at, at uh, Disney Hollywood Studios, and they had. Um, and they do have quite a few items at the Walt Disney Family Museum. They showed they have a they have quite a few of Mickey's park costumes, a couple of which were on display there. And they talked about um, the Mickey Mouse Review and how it was an e-ticket attraction. And they brought up what you said, you know, Craig, how they could not they they have the figure which I think I saw on display. At a at the Ronald Reagan um, Presidential um, Library, when they when the archives did a big um, exhibition there several years ago, um, I think I went with Nancy Johnson from our Legacy Disneyland show, and they had they had photos of the sound testing for the Mickey Mouse review on stage one Walt Disney Studios, but they talked about now how for items that they cannot transport easily. The archives can now um, render these 3D um, images yeah, for them, so yeah. that they can they, so they can create virtual museums now of of and include items that can no longer be transferred. And then and then what was really cool is they then showed they didn't show the whole exhibit uh, or the whole review because if you've never seen this, this was a very this is an amazing attraction, and it was very complex. And and but they did show film of some of the scenes from the Mickey Mouse review, and that was really cool. So um, anyway, so I that, I enjoyed. Did, you you probably never saw the Mickey Mouse review, right? No, Correct? I did not. No. Yeah, yeah, I saw it both. Uh, at the Magic Kingdom and then at Disneyland in Tokyo. So the, the hybrid version were, yeah. you know, they couldn't make their mind up what language they wanted it in. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but it's, I really miss that, that exhibit. So anyway, so, so that was pretty much, so that was sort of it. I mean, it was interesting. It was a lot of fun. The, those yeah. two were funny. They had good um, repartee together. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, so, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, throughout the time since we brought up the Mickey Mouse Club, they had throughout the two days some Mickey Mouse Club moments from the television series of the Mickey Mouse Club from 1955, 1977, 1989. This is where Veronica got to wear uh, some of her other outfits as well. And um, but also they had different folks uh, hosting 
different years, uh, decades of the club. So they had, um, a, I think it was Libby Spatz or something and Becky Klein. They did the Mickey Mouse Club moment from 1955. So they showed some rare footage of the show. For instance, a lot of folks might not know that the opening of the show was actually in um, color was filmed in color, even though the rest of the show was black and white. And um, they talked about how each episode had its own music, and it, 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 there was the mouse newsreel, there were mouse cartoons. Um, th- you know, every day had a different theme, like Monday was fun with music and all that. You know, Jimmy Dodd and Roy Williams were the adult hosts. Roy Williams, of course, who was a Disney animator, was also the, he, he was called the Musketeer. They had serialized stories like The Adventures of Spin and Marty and others. Um, the, of course, the most famous Musketeer from this era was Annette Funicello. She was America's sweetheart. And then they showed some clips from the Mickey Mouse um, 3D Jamboree show at Disneyland, where <laughs> you could really see how they, um, the gimmicks, the 3D gimmicks that they did, like, you know, when the Mouseketeers are performing, there's all these bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for absolutely no reason. And then when they're doing the Mickey Mouse Club anthem at the end, and how Jimmy suddenly will turn his guitar so that the car's pointing out at you, or he, he points his finger because we like you, you yeah. know, out, because you know that was for the 3D effect and all that. So, I don't know, that was fun. So, what, what did you think of the 1955 club? I, I mean, it's I'm most familiar with that one, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Even though mm-hmm. I grew up in the 90s, late 80s, and early 90s, I, I should be more familiar with with that one, but I'm not because I watched I watched Walt Disney at night when mm-hmm. I was when that was around in the in the 90s. So. I, I'm most familiar with that. Then add in like Walt Disney Treasures box sets and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love everything. I wish it was I wish it was still more readily available today to yeah. to go back and and see the the classic times. And it, there's nothing like watching the Mickey Mouse Club March. Like that was another one that was on a sing along, uh, mm-hmm. one of the VHS tapes. And so I love love that animation for the opening. It's it's all good for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, the 3D stuff was a hoot. I mean, it was yeah. funny. Then then the 1977 Mickey Club moment, it was um, Ashley Eckstein and Brett Iwin, the voice of Mickey Mouse, who hosted this one. They talked about how, like, you know, the probably the most famous person um, on this one was Lisa... So Wetchel? Wetchel? Whatever her name. She, she was Blair in The Facts of Life. Anyway. Yes. And um, Wayne Alwine, this was his first job as voicing um, Mickey Mouse. And the uniforms, they were so 70s. They were pastel jumpsuits. And yeah. the... <laughs> they were they were hideous. And the um, Mickey, the, the hat was... Um, the It was like a little cap. I remember because they sold these in the parks at the time, too. But they were colored to match the jumpsuit. Of the Musketeer, yeah, they were they, they were perfectly seventies and perfectly awful. Yeah, they, they were bad, uh, and, and they had like who, what, when, where, and why day, and all that. Um, but they performed in the nineteen seventy seven Super Bowl halftime show. 
shows you how far um, Super Bowl halftime shows have sort yeah. of progressed in their entertainment. Um, it, it wasn't even that. They also uh, they did uh, segments at Magic Kingdom, and mm-hmm. they showed us the it was the entire song that they they shot at river country uh-huh about river country yeah it which, was the river country song <laughs> yeah that yeah was an experience that was fun they kept showing the same heavy set gentleman falling off his inner tube or something i don't know going down a slide <laughs> they, over and over and over they did yeah. that and i have a photo pulled up of it that i took after like the third time they showed this clip it was all a whole bunch of kids like it's not a lazy river this was clearly one of the the slides um there's uh-huh. not enough water and it's not wide enough to be a lazy river at least i don't think so but there's one two three four five six seven eight nine ten 11, 12 kids all going down at the same time, and they're all bundled up together like, that would never happen. I mean, yeah, in a lazy river, but not on a slide. I know, and they're all bumping into each other, and they're falling out of their tubes and everything. It was was just, you know, it was a different era. Yeah, but (laughs) some of the, and the song was awful, obviously, but the shots that they showed of River Country, all these overhead shots flying around the property and showing some of the slides and stuff that I, I even remember from when I went there the, the two times I must have gone maybe three times mm-hmm. so it was it was definitely a bas- a blast from the past even though oh, I had yeah. never heard the song that they were playing I think I heard it on a sing-along I think there was a sing-along tape that that might have had it i don't know yeah maybe but but i loved it because they showed like the rope swings and kids jumping off and well it it wasn't like anyone was clearing out people you know from below these kids just jumping wherever and all that it was was funny so it was it was controlled chaos at the magic kingdom so um anyway and then and then finally they had the um uh, the, the the 1989 and 1994 uh, Mickey Mouse Club moment. I don't, I don't think. I, oh, the hosts were Tyler Slater and um, Justin Arthur. I don't remember who these people were. I mean, why they hosted this, but they looked vaguely familiar to me. Yeah, Tyler um, works for D23. I, I believe they both work for D23. Though, oh, okay. I follow Tyler on social media, so that's how I know. Was he the one with all the interesting sweaters and shirts? Yes. Yeah, so I asked him where he got them. He said it Forever 21. <laughs> so, <laughs> But um, anyway, um, anyway, well, of course, people will know a few of the names from this club Christina Aguilera Britney Spears Ryan Gosling Justin Timberlake Carrie Russell um, JC how does he say his name Jose oh okay I got it look at that anyway um, yeah so this club had a lot of people that went on for for the illustrious careers Um, they talked about how 5,000 children auditioned 12 joined the original cast now I did see this filmed at the Disney MGM Studios and um, it was also part of the studio tour where um, as you went as the tram went along you went above it so as they were performing you could see them performing it Um, they released an album called MMC do you have that album in your collection, Craig? I do not have that one, unfortunately. 
So, um, yeah, so, so they showed some clips um, from it and, um, and all that. So it, it was just fun to see them young and carefree. And, yeah, no, it, it brought back – I, I watched a little bit of it, and I remember seeing the set one of the times that I went to Walt Disney World when I was young. But um, mm-hmm. it's – I was at that age where that – it I was – I wasn't too young, obviously. I mean, I was I was actually the right demographic, but um, it's I just didn't watch it until it, I, I well, I never really I never tuned in regularly to that to that version. If I saw it, I'd watch it, but I wasn't a mega fan, so it's like I was more of a fan of a lot of the people that were in that cast. After they got really famous after the Mickey Mouse Club, so, yeah, yeah, um, it's so it, it it's cool though. It's it's cool to it was a great flashback to the nineties. Yeah, and it, it's of course club was controversial because they did not wear the ears, and I, I, I did watch it and at least for a little while, and it just seemed like it was more huge production, yeah, more you know, musical production based. numbers, yeah. And less of maybe what we enjoyed from the first club and maybe even the second club, where it was more of the interaction and sort of getting to know the characters through the skits and stories and things like that. Well, and that's kind of what they alluded to in it, too, is that while while there were great actors in it, like Carrie Russell and Ryan Gosling, uh, it was the performers that really made an impact on that show the Christina Aguilera mm-hmm. and, and Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake so they they kind of pushed the performance level uh, of the mm-hmm. show so it's you know it's it's another it's another one of the Mickey Mouse clubs yeah yeah, yeah. so and the last event that we t- um that was actually the last event of the whole destination D. I didn't attend because I went to um, a meetup um, it, it, over at Epcot. But it, but you went, Craig. So maybe you can tell me what went on there. I did see um, what you posted about it. Um, Mickey's PJ party, and I really had to tear myself away from this. Yeah, but, it um, was. So what? It, it was cute. Um, you know, I was only there for. Oh man, I, okay. I was there for a good amount of time. I was probably there for forty minutes, but essentially it was the the end of the weekend party. Everyone left after the final panel on Sunday. They cleared out the room and they turned it into a pajama party celebrating Mickey's birthday. And so the the gang was all there, dressed up in their pajamas. It was Mickey, Minnie, Daisy, Donald, Goofy, and Pluto. And it, they they all looked great in their costumes. So people were just were just losing their minds over them. And like I got in the room first with the sorcerers and in media, and it's so I I got to see at least get video of them before they were swarmed. But then uh, the lines were just insane to to get to get photos with them or, or even just dance with them. So, you know, they were, it was the kind of character interaction where they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll take photos obviously, but we're there to just interact with you. But it was, it was definitely cool for that. People who love characters 
were were absolutely losing their minds over it. And then they did go away for a little while, and that was my hint to try to get towards the big stage that they had set up with a, a Mickey Mouse 90th birthday cake, a multi-tiered cake. And mm-hmm. so uh, Michael Vargo of D23 uh, came out with with all of the gang, and they sang, we all sang Happy Birthday to Mickey and confetti went off and it was really cool to have all the characters and Michael on stage like that for that, that kind of grand celebration moment. And then the characters went back out to, to meet and dance with everyone. And lots of people that were dancing. The DJ was just constantly playing new songs like, like they should. There were snacks set up and you know, it's, for, for me, I I got my enjoyment out of it after like 30 minutes, but I, I can imagine that everyone there was probably having fun for all two hours of it. So it was <laughs> a really good. nice way to end the weekend. So not as oh, elaborate good. as some of the other uh, some of the other activities that they've planned uh, with with destination D's and stuff, but it was it was it was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I went to a meetup uh, with some of my fellow travelers on the London Paris Adventures by Disney Dreams Unlimited Travel. You know, trip we met over in um, London and Paris um, Pavilion. Well, the um, UK and um, Par- and uh, France pavilions, and then um, we got, of course, our goofy annual pass holder magnets. And because I know this was the only day I could do that. And then I had to see for my last time illuminations, reflections of Earth with the holiday tag at the end. Yeah. So. And even as we're recording this now, I don't know if it's, it's made it back, but you might have gotten lucky because there was an incident with one of the, the pyro uh, fireworks. I heard. And uh, so I don't know if the the sparkling sparkling pyro on the water towards the beginning of the holiday tag if that'll come back for the rest of the holiday season so you might have gotten extra lucky with that you know that's the first time it's happened i mean why stop it for the rest of the run i don't think they will but that's and that's part of the problem with social media it's fireworks have gone rogue before but mm-hmm. when you have social media, everyone's going to be able to post about it and spread it around. And it's not, no one was hurt. It was a random occurrence that happened. It's still safe. It's just, it was an accident. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. So that, that's, uh, that's, that's the first half of our recap of Destination D celebrating Mickey Mouse. And um, we hope you'll join us next week for uh, as we finish uh, talking about Destination D celebrating Mickey Mouse right well you know, you know, Craig. One of the uh, things in meeting all our listeners is a whole lot of people said we would love to be on the show to be part of uh, to challenge Craig with um, the history quiz. So I thought that was that was key. There's a lot of confident people out there. Yeah, and there's uh, a lot of people that I know will be able to beat me. <laughs> so we but but this week because of the length of the episode um 
because there was a lot to talk about with Destination D, we're going to do our alternate version yes. of the history quiz this week, which is where, you know, I I um I just throw some questions out here to Craig and he will dazzle all of us with his knowledge. So oh, yeah. Craig <laughs> Are you are you ready for the week of December second? Sure. Okay, here we go. So WestJet and Disney Parks Canada hold an event in the WestJet hangar in Calgary, Alberta, Canada on December 2nd, 2013 to unveil the Magic Plane. Which iconic Disney character is featured on the Boeing 737's tail? That's an easy one. That was Sorcerer Mm -hmm. Mickey. You're right. Very good. Did you see the plane? I... Obviously, I never saw it in person, but I remember it distinctly. Uh, yeah, seeing the too. picture of it, yeah. I did. I thought, why don't I ever ride on these cool planes? Well, I think I once rode on. I think Southwest once had a Tinkerbell plane or something. Oh, I think we rode that one. And the closest yeah, some to, airlines did. Yeah, the closest to a cool plane I've ever seen was. Uh, I guess back in the day, Southwest did some interesting ones, but when the first time I went to Alaska, Alaska Airlines had like some with animals on the side and i was like oh that's neat. oh yeah <laughs> yeah that is neat so all right december 3rd cheer force one takes flight on december 3rd 1989 what is cheer force one? Oh, um i Okay. Um, you said cheer? Cheer. C H E E R. Force One. Okay. Was Air Force One the name of the balloon? Air Force One was the name of um, a Mickey Mouse balloon. Yeah. See, I know yeah. that, but I have never heard of Cheer Force One. So you stumped me on this one. Okay, well, Cheer Force One was Walt Disney World's Mickey Mouse-shaped balloon, but it was topped off with a Santa Claus cap. Uh. Yeah, and it took to the Florida skies to help celebrate the holidays. I feel like I should have seen that before. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I'm sure someday there'll be a popcorn bucket (laughs) like that. Uh, Um, You said it. Someone's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. On December 4th, 2009, singer Celine Dion is taped performing Oh Come All Ye Faithful in the lobby of a Walt Disney World resort for the Disney Parks Christmas Parade ABC TV special. In which resort lobby did Ms. Dion perform? Oh, that's a complete guess on this, but... I don't see why they wouldn't put her anywhere but the the Grand Floridian. You're absolutely right. I'm almost positive Kathy Whirling was at this. I thought she posted something about this. I don't know why I'm thinking that. She might have been. It was before I was down here, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, anytime they're going to do anything with anyone famous, it's, it's at usually Grand Floridian except I do know that Mariah Carey enjoys staying at Animal Kingdom Lodge so ah, there's that okay. <laughs> yeah I'll keep an eye out for her <laughs> <laughs> um, December 5th alright Craig who was born on Sunday December 5th in 1901 
Mm, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, oh, mm, I'm going to go with Walt. That's right. <laughs> I thought, okay, we had to do this. Yeah. Walter Elias Disney is born to Flora and Elias Disney in their two-story home, the 1249 Trip Avenue in a newly developed section of Chicago, Illinois. Now, in 1909, the address of the house will change to 2156 North Trip Avenue. And uh, anyway, yeah, and of course, as we know, the the house was designed by Lillian and built by Elias. And in April 1906, the Disney family will move to Missouri, where Walt and his brothers and sisters will grow up on a farm in Marceline. But the family will later return to Chicago in 1917. So anyway, there you go. So on December 6th, who did California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger and First Lady Maria Shriver induct into the California Hall of Fame, located at the California Museum for History, Women, and the Arts, on December 6th, 2006? Hmm. Um, I... I'm. Uh, I genuinely don't know the answer to this. I and only because I'm not familiar with this uh, establishment. So I, I I don't know. Yeah, you're you're just probably still boggled that we would have elected Arnold Schwarzenegger as our governor. But, oh no, I get um, that. I get that entirely. <laughs> that makes so, sense to me. Yeah, yeah. It, Walt Disney. Oh, uh, see, that's Walt I Disney. kind of had a feeling, but I'm like, if unless this was like just established, shouldn't he have been in it a long time before? But this 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 what is this was fairly new. Oh, okay, see, and that's that's it was I was caught up on that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. so, anyway, um, so for December 7th, on December 7th, 1964, the Compass East Corporation is incorporated in Delaware. What is its Disney connection? Was this one of the, was this one of the fake, not fake companies that, they used for Walt Disney World? Absolutely. Yes, the Compass East Corporation will be responsible for buying up the Florida land that will eventually become Walt Disney World. The name Compass East Corporation appears, along with some of the other dummy companies, on Don Tatum's Main Street window in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. That's I, That's why I guessed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, and, and I think that was a window we pointed out when we did our... Um, Connecting with Walt, I believe tour that was too. Yes, down down sun baked <laughs> Main <laughs> Street, rushing against <laughs> so, a parade. I know. Yeah, that that was fun. All right, and finally on December eighth. Okay, I think you're going to get this one. <laughs> Conductor and film composer Carl Eduarde passes away on December eighth, nineteen thirty two. What is his Disney connection? Uh, he was the conductor for Steamboat Willie. 
That's right. And I've seen his baton in person. <laughs> you have? Yes. Yes, we both have. I know. I thought for folks who, who got through the end of this, there there you go. Yeah. That's your bonus. <laughs> it's their bonus. I know when I was when when I came across this, I thought, okay, I have to throw it in just oh, to yeah. see just, who's listening. It fits perfectly. <laughs> So Craig, so so that was our so, so we did the big long recap of Destination D. So so, how did you enjoy your first day there? Uh, it was it was good. So um, obviously we bounced around and just mm-hmm. focused on one aspect of it. Uh, and I believe we'll talk about in the next one what was the icing on the cake of the first day. And, yes, the ending uh, of the first day. Yeah, it's there. There was a lot of ups and downs on the first day, but by the end of it, it was it was one of those uh, emotional roller coasters where you're like, I don't yeah. even care about the next day. It can whatever can happen happens, mm-hmm. but but then there ended up being some great stuff that day too. So, um, but yeah, overall day one was day one was a lot of fun there was yeah. there was highlights there was low points but overall it was yeah it was a nice day filled with lots of disney fandom mm-hmm. yeah for me saturday was the stronger day i would say me, i would agree yeah so um there was sunday just, there were some you know moments like yeah okay <laughs> yeah i i do agree with that the only the only difference uh, with um, with the Sunday presentation was uh, essentially the um, uh, Mickey and his pals at the Disney parks, which mm-hmm. was the the panel put on by uh, Jason Grant and gang, mm-hmm. and that was, I mean, to me that was that was besides the Mary Poppins, that was the highlight of the event mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, that was really good. So, and and we will get into that and more um, next week when we talk about the remaining Destination D presentations. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners find you on the Dis Unplugged network of shows? As always, you can find me uh, throughout the week. Um, on the Disney World Edition podcast on Tuesdays, Universal Edition podcast on Thursdays, Best and Worst of Walt Disney World on Wednesdays, <laughs> random days on the Dis Daily Fix, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. That is actually the preferred place to send messages because I can keep track of them there. On Twitter, I'm mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me on Craig on Twitter at our official Connecting with Walt Twitter page, Connecting Walt at Connecting Walt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com. And Craig always has a link to that in our show notes, because I've been getting a lot of um, questions about where do I find these. So um, it's always in there. So to go into our show notes and you'll find 
You'll be able to find your way to the list of all the episodes and stuff. And you can look for past episodes of Connecting Us Walt on iTunes, or you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. And happy birthday, Walt. <laughs>